It's all right. John chapter 21. Go ahead and stand with me if you would. And we'll read a story tonight. I want to start a reading uh, really in John 20, verse 30. Such beautiful verses here. The Bible says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. And the Bible says, which are not written in this book. And wouldn't you like to know what some of those things were? Not recorded for us. I suppose uh, one day after the uh, demonic invasion, Pastor preached about this morning and other things will take place, we'll be able to share and hear some of those stories that Jesus uh, did. But they're not written in this book. But what we do have, verse 31 says, that these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and He is the Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through His name. The Bible says, After these things Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed He Himself. They were together, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, his mother didn't like him, that's why she gave him that name, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of His disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a sheep ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? Have ye got any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find... They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him. The Bible says he was naked. I don't recommend fishing in the buff, but he was. And he did cast himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus says unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus saith to them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples, and after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He says unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him again the second time, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Then feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdst thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he signifying by what death that he, being Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Those are his instructions. It's Peter's commission. It's what God said for him to do. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said 
uh, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, he's referring to John, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? That was Peter's response. I want to talk about that tonight. What shall this man, what about him? What, what's he going to do? So let's pray tonight and look at this thought uh, together. Father, thank you for the chance to be together tonight as a church family. Lord, thank you for a good day today. The fellowship, Lord, the music, the preaching, the time we've shared um, with each other and in your presence. Uh, we're grateful for it and pray that once more you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd strengthen us and give us application tonight as we face the week ahead in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Peter, in this text, to give some context to it, had had a very difficult and rough past few days and even weeks. He was the brash disciple. He was the one who told the Lord, I will never betray you. Uh, Lord, though all men would betray you, this guy is never going to do it. And yet it was that guy who betrayed the Lord. And he didn't just do it once. And we know from the Bible, he didn't just do it twice. He betrayed Jesus Christ three times on the night before his crucifixion. Luke records for us that the third time that Peter betrayed the Lord, that Jesus looked at him. I can't imagine betraying the Lord, betraying a best friend. But Jesus looked at him as the words came, the betrayal came from his mouth. Peter was emotionally crushed, as you can imagine. The Bible says he went out, he wept bitterly. He's at a low place, and this weight has been on his shoulders now for a long time. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples, the Bible says, two other times before this passage. And the other two times, Jesus hadn't directly dealt with Peter yet. But this is the third time he's been with these men. And this time, he's going to dress Peter head on. As Scott sang a moment ago, he came to me, and it was Peter's turn for Jesus to come to him. And the setting here that we read about is a beach setting. There's a fire going. Jesus has already cooked breakfast, maybe for them it was fish and bread, for us it may be you know, chocolate chip waffles and scrambled eggs, I don't know. They finish eating, and the other guys are cleaning up, and I imagine in my mind, in my imagination, that the other men leave the campfire in that moment, and they leave at the fire, Jesus and Peter, for a private and intense conversation. I imagine Peter probably stirred awkwardly. He may have found it very difficult to look into Jesus' eyes at this point. I know that would have been difficult for me. I imagine that Peter would have felt vulnerable. He would have felt insecure and worthless. And Jesus initiates the conversation, and he always does. And his gaze falls upon Peter. He looks him once more into the eyes. Last time he looked at him, Peter was betraying him. And he meets his eyes perhaps once more here in this in this difficult moment for Peter. And Jesus clears his throat. He looks at Peter and he asks a question. And this is how he opens the conversation. Simon, son of Jonas. And don't you love it when people use your full name, right? It's not like, hey, Jerry. It's Jerry. What's your middle name? Now, he doesn't have a middle name. Okay. Let's forget. <laughs> Jerry, no middle name, Colombo, right? So he says this to him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Presumably, Jesus may have nodded his head or pointed toward the boats and the fish they had just caught. The idea is, 
Do you love your vocation more than you love me, Peter? Peter had to feel like the ultimate failure. He had betrayed the Lord three times. And so three times now the Lord presses him with this question. Perhaps for Peter's sake to remove the cloud of denial that weighed heavily over his head. To press into Peter's mind that failure wasn't final and that God had a great plan reserved still for his life. There was a bright future ahead of Peter and Peter needed to get his heart and he needed to get his mindset clear and things need to be right with the Lord. And so again, Jesus asked these three questions in successive order. Verse 15, Simon Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And the idea of the word love there is agape type of love. It's volitional love. The kind of love that's willingly sacrificial. Will you put me, Peter, before other things? Before your vocation, before your hobbies, before finances and money, before other people, will I come first? Do you love me more than these? More than all the stuff in the world? Verse 16, he asks the question again. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Jesus again uses the agape word, but this time he leaves off that phrase, more than these. And the idea is just simply this, focus on Peter, on you, Peter. Do you love me more than these? But now it's, Peter, do you love me? Like, do you have feelings? Do, do you have loyalty toward me? But then he gets to verse 17, and he says unto him the third time, do you love me? And this time, the word there is the phileo type of love. And it's not loyalty necessarily, a priority. It's the idea of friendship and affection. It's like this. Am I even your friend? Hey, Jerry, are we okay? Do you love me in an intimate way, in a godly kind of way? Are, are we okay? Is our friendship okay? And then Jesus takes this after Peter's assurances, and he instructs Peter about the future. You know, we may have uncertainty about our futures like Peter did, but we know this, that God is in control, that we can confidently follow the Lord. And Jesus here has asked three really good questions. Do you love me? You're going to follow me. You're going to put me first. And now Peter has one of his own that he wants to ask the Lord. And his question is, Lord, how can I serve you best? How can I prove to you that I love you? Lord, how can I get back to our relationship and that standing that we once had? How can I show you my love and my fidelity and my loyalty to you, Lord? That wasn't the question he asked. No, he looks over at John and he says, in verse 20, he sees that disciple and he says, Peter sees him and says to the Lord, and what shall this man do? So Jesus had just asked three really good successive questions guiding Peter's thoughts and heart. And Peter lands at this place. What about that guy? What's he going to do? And it was at this moment that the palm to forehead motion was invented and the shake from side to side by Jesus. And what's not in the text is simply this. Seriously, Peter? Like, really? That's your response. I just told you to follow me. I just commissioned you. I just revealed to you that you're going to die for me and you're concerned about John. And this is what Jesus' response is. Verse 22, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Like, if I want to leave him alive for thousands of years, has nothing to do with you. 
He says, it's none of your business. Here's my mission for you, Peter. Follow me. Peter, do you. You can't do other people. And live your life, not the life of another. In part, Jesus was teaching Peter this principle. Action follows thought. What we end up doing originates in our minds. Action always follows thought. Peter's thoughts were leading him to his failures. And here he was in this moment, still in a failure mindset, still thinking and comparing himself to others. He was thinking about what a horrible person he was, what terrible things he had done, and and maybe even in an envious way, looking at the life of another person and thinking about God's blessing on him and, and his talents and his loyalty to the Lord, and that's all he could see. He couldn't see that Jesus was reaching out, restoring, guiding, and trying to help him. His thoughts had led him out of God's will. They had led him back to Peter's own will. Peter said, man, I don't know what's going on here. The Lord's come back. He showed himself to us twice, and I'm just done with this, and I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to my old lifestyle. He left the call that God had placed on him. He went back to his past, fishing for fish instead of men. And Peter here is with the Lord And Jesus is sitting across the campfire from him after having cooked him a meal and says to him, Peter, will you change your thoughts? Will you fix what's going on up here? Because if we can fix that, then we can fix the actions that follow. Jesus was asking him to redirect his negative thinking. And if you want to change your actions in life, And if there are things in your life you say, you know, I wish that I was better in that area, I know I can be. I I, I know that this area of my world is is weak and I know it needs to be better. And if we're going to get to that place in any area of our life, it's going to start in our minds and the thoughts that we think. If you want to change your actions, you have to change your thinking. And in our lives, we are not choosing our next action. We are choosing our next thought. And we always have a choice about our thinking. When something negative happens, our first response is usually what? Well, it's usually negative. Friday night, I took one of my daughters out for a cup of coffee. So we walk in, and this place is packed out. There are five people working the counter, and they couldn't keep up. The drive-through was wrapped around the building. The parking lot was full. The mobile orders were over the top. I would never go in there, but I had my daughter with me. It's like, we're going to go get a cup of coffee. Can we go in there? And I, it's one of those moments where you feel sorry for the people working. <laughs> and there was one girl that's dominating behind the counter. And she's barking. And she's screaming. And she's huffy and puffy. And, and, and we had placed a mobile order. And so I'm like, I'd get out of here if I could, but I'm stuck now. And then I felt, you know, you're going to feel bad. And then you're like, well, chill out. Like, it's just coffee. (laughs) And, and, And the other lady that's working beside her is calm, serene, and people asking her questions, and she's smiling. She's thoughtfully engaging, and she's working as hard as she can. Two different people. One is frantic and yelling. The other is calm and serene. And they're both getting the same amount of work done. Two different responses to a negative situation in their job. 
both girls chose the response to a less than ideal situation. And we can, too. There is an internal dialogue that takes place inside of each of our hearts. Questions and statements that are, we are always making to ourselves, and these lead us somewhere. See, bad thinking leads to bad questions, and bad questions inside of our hearts lead to bad actions. And here Jesus is, and he asks three really good questions, and they are guiding Peter's thinking. And Jesus is, is, is the master psychologist here, and he's, he's unraveling this guilt and this shame for Peter. He's laying out this path for him to follow mentally. He's asking these incredible questions, and Peter turns around, what does he do? Well, he asks a really lousy question. It's focused on others. Wasn't focused on him and the Lord. It was focused on other people. And when we find ourselves in a frustrated place in life, when we're hurt, when we're disappointed, when we're neglected, and when the world around us is beginning to fall apart, we do the same thing. And we begin to ask really lousy questions, not just of others, but mostly of ourselves and inside our own minds. So how do we stop asking bad questions? Well, we learn to ask good questions. How do we learn making bad, to stop making bad statements? Well, we turn around and we start making good statements and things that are positive and that reinforce us. Peter was so focused on John's life, just like sometimes we are focused on the lives of other people and not our own. Several years ago, a pastor and our staff read a book entitled QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. And we read this, it's been over a decade ago, and in a, in a real pivotal moment in our ministry here. And so our staff read it, and, and we decided this book's just helpful, and it's, it's full of instruction and thoughts, and it's got great stories, good principles in it. We thought, you know, we need to pass this out to our lay leadership, and so we did. And since that time, um, over a million copies have sold of this book. It's a simple and easy book to read. It's full of helpful principles. Um, it's the kind of book that will help you grow in every area of life, and that we have hoped and continue to hope will in some measure define the culture here at Eastland. And I think, Mrs. Drell, so we have a few copies in the bookstore currently and a few more on the way. So we're going to preach a few messages uh, that are founded from principles in this book. One of the guiding principles behind QBQ is, is, is simply this. The answers are in the questions. Better questions, they get better answers. And again, QBQs are usually questions that we ask ourselves, not other ones. They are the ones that we think in our minds, and they're the ones that we think in our hearts. So I'm going to go into teaching mode here for just a second, because these are helpful. And this is, this is from the book, and Pastor and I had this conversation about this, and, and we feel like some of these principles can help us in our church family, especially as we come into this month of August. Good questions start with what or how. They do not start with why, when, or who. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Good questions start with what or how, they don't start with why, when, or who. So this afternoon, um, our Hispanic ministry was, were, was serving sopas as a fundraiser to go to youth camp. And so Elizabeth and I went down there with our family, and we got down there a little late, and they were delicious, by the way. And a lot of our Hispanic family is up here tonight for some baptisms that we're going to have. They were great. And so we get ours. We're walking out, and, and I noticed to my left a some, a puddle of water. Not outside the building, inside the building. 
on the carpet and it's growing. And, and I look at that and I, that's not natural. And I look at Elizabeth and she's like, I don't know. So come to find out there was a, there was a toilet in the ladies restroom overflowing and there's, there's about four feet of water in there. A little bit of exaggeration, but there's a lot of water. It's coming out under all the walls. And you know, the first thing that pops into my mind is, why me? <laughs> why couldn't someone else have found this disaster? <laughs> and my second question was, who's going to help me? <laughs> and so Daniel Anderson's standing there. Daniel, I need your help. And Jacob Palmer and Chris Kuykendall, Brother Dwight, and uh, David Haney, there's a bunch of guys. And, and you know, they come together and, and, and get it done. But usually when something negative happens, that's what we say. Why? Who? When? Those are bad questions. And those men answered with, what can I do? How can I help? And they are much better Christians than I am. But we ask questions like this. Why is this happening to me? When will people understand me? Who made that mistake? Who walked away from the toilet when it exploded? Who's going to fix this? When will they give me a break? Look, these questions are natural. They come to us naturally. And they're easy to ask. They come to mind quickly. But they're not good questions. Good questions start with this. What? Or, or how? And then they contain an I. Not they. Not we. Not you. It's I. What can I do? How can I help? I was at the gym the other day, and this lady was walking around with a t-shirt, said three words, not my problem. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You know, but that defines so many of us and our mindset. It's not my job. Good questions start with what or how, not why, when, or who. Good questions contain an I, and then they focus on action. So an example would be this, what can I do? How can I help? What difference can I make? And the questions that we ask, they determine our mindset and our direction. And the mindset that we have and the direction we are head, headed need to be grounded in personal responsibility. And when we ask questions like this, what or how, those are personal responsibility type questions. What, how can I, and then action, do what can I do? That's the type of culture. That's the type of thinking. That's not just a Christian ethic. We want it to be the ethic of this church and who we are. That's the mindset that we need and want here, personally responsible. When like Peter, we are focused on the Johns in our lives, then we give our power and we give our influence away and we become victims. Instead, we need to focus our attention on the life that God has given to us. And so Peter sees John, and he says, what about that guy? And Jesus says to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to me? The, he says this, these are your instructions, Peter. Follow thou me. Be personally responsible for the life I've given to you for your relationships, for the place I've put you in, for the future I've just revealed to you. Don't worry about them. 
And don't worry about what that other church is doing and what your, those people on the job are doing and what those relationships in your life are doing. You focus on me. Follow thou me. We need to focus our attention on the life God has given to us. See, the, in, the key to internal change is personal responsibility. You take responsibility for your life. And you take responsibility for following the Lord. Because no one else can follow the Lord for you. Only you can follow the path that he has for you. God has a plan for your spouse. He has a plan for each of your children. He has a plan for the members of our church. He has a plan for the people at your job. He has a different plan for every person. You follow your plan for your life and take responsibility for following God in your life and stop focusing on what's that guy going to do? And what about that guy's job? And what about her? That's not your responsibility. You have a responsibility. There's a story in the book, and I'm going to take a moment to read it. I timed it in my office, and it took me two minutes and 15 seconds when I read it to David. So we'll get through it quick, all right? I just want you to listen for a moment. He says this in chapter one. He says, it was a beautiful day when I stopped into a rock bottom restaurant for a quick lunch. That's the title, of the, uh, or the name of the restaurant. The place was jammed. I didn't have much time, so I was happy to grab the one stool they had available at the bar. A few minutes later, after I sat down, a young man carrying a tray full of dirty dishes hurried by on his way to the kitchen. Out of the corner of his eye, he noticed me. He stopped, came back, and said, Sir, have you been helped? No, I haven't, I said, and I'm in a bit of a hurry, but all I really want is a salad and maybe a couple of rolls. I can get you that, sir. What would you like to drink? I'll have a Diet Coke, please. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We have Pepsi products. Would that be all right? Ah, no thanks, I said with a smile. I'll just have water with lemon, please. Great, I'll be back. And he disappeared. Moments later, he returned with the salad, the rolls, and the water. I thanked him, and he was quickly gone again, leaving me to enjoy my meal, a satisfied customer. Suddenly, there was a blur of activity off to my left. The wind of enthusiasm blew behind me. And then over my right shoulder stretched the long arm of service, delivering a 21-ounce bottle, frosty on the outside, cold on the inside of, you guessed it, Diet Coke. Wow, I said, thank you. You're welcome, he said with a smile and hurried off, hurried off again. My first thought was hire this man. Talk about going the extra mile. He was clearly not your average employee. And the more I thought about the outstanding thing he'd just done, the more I wanted to talk to him. So as soon as I could get his attention, I waved him over. Excuse me, I thought you didn't sell Coke, I said. That's right, we don't. Well, where did this come from? The grocery store around the corner. I was taken aback. Who paid for it, I asked. I did, sir. By then I was thinking profound and professional thoughts like, cool. But what I said was, come on, you've, got, you've been awfully busy. How did you have time to go get it? Smiling and seemingly growing taller before my eyes, he said, I didn't, sir. He said, I sent my manager. <laughs> now look, that is the essence of asking the right kind of questions. What can I do? How can I help? And I'll get other people involved. We're going we're to fix this. We're going to get this done. We're going to work together as a team. And it wasn't just that he took personal responsibility. His manager took personal responsibility as well. And here was this team of people all taking personal responsibility to go over and above for this satisfied customer. I don't know if this man that wrote this book is a Christian or not. I have no idea. He doesn't profess to be one. And if, if he could act that way, how much more should children of God 
who've been commissioned by him to do love and good works. And as I mentioned this morning, to lay up a foundation of these types of things for the future that is to come in heaven one day. And I want to encourage you just with a few thoughts of application tonight. Then we're going to continue this thought into next week. I, I think this, number one tonight, we all need to, and I'm just going to say your name, you need to take responsibility for your life. Your attitude is your attitude. Your outlook on life and the way you see it and the filter you have is your outlook on life and it's your filter. Your joy or your lack thereof is your joy or lack thereof. And we want to blame our inadequacies and our insecurities and our problems on everyone and everything else. We want to blame shift things into, onto the political system, onto health care, the workplace, the church, the school, the teachers. The list goes on. Why are things so expensive? When are politicians going to fix gas prices? Who's going to make me happy? I want to remind you, when we ask the questions why and when and who, we leave ourselves and actions behind. And they take, we take, take them out of the question and we are thinking irresponsibly, just like Peter did. But there are better questions. And what this author would call the question behind the question, the QBQ. And it would say things like this, what can I do to be happier? There's not the joy that's supposed to be there as a child of God. So what can I do to be happier? How can I be a better person? How? Can I contribute to a better world? What can I pray about? Look, we can't change the world. We can't change other people. But you have power to change you. You choose your thoughts. And the thoughts that are in your mind, the questions that you ask about your life, and the internal dialogue that takes place within, that guides your actions. And you can change that. And that's what Jesus was challenging Peter about. And Peter, in time, would figure that out, and he would fix it. And he would go on to fulfill the life and the plan that God had for him. And we need to as well. And as God would have it, in a strange twist of fate, when we change ourselves... We also influence and help change other people and the world that we live in. Take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility for your smile. Take responsibility for your joy and your happiness and your Christianity and your eternal home and your future. Take responsibility for your home. Yeah, we might say these things about our spouse. Why doesn't he let go of that issue? Um, or I would say, why doesn't she? No, I'm, I'm teasing. Elizabeth was nodding a little too affirmatively there, so it made me nervous. When will she respect and appreciate me? Why don't you eat healthy and start exercising? We can ask better questions than that. Instead of using why and when, we can say things like, how can I improve myself? How can I become a better spouse? What can I do to help her out how can I serve her? How can I listen more? What can I pray for for her? What and how? I and then action. What can I do? As a parent, why won't my son obey me? How can I get to know him better is a better question. Why does my daughter hang around those girls? 
A better question. What can I do to help her get through these tough years? What? How? I? What can I do? Why can't you be more like your sister? How can I improve my parenting skills? There are many things that I cannot do as a father, as a husband, as a pastor in this church. But there's a lot of things that I can do. And there's a lot of things that you can do. Those are the things we need to focus on. How and what can I do? That is the essence of personal responsibility. See, your life is the culmination of your thinking and the responsibility you do or do not accept. And we need to stop focusing on other people like Peter did. Well, what about John, Lord? And we need to focus on what can I do? How can you make a difference? And we will be better and happier people when we learn to take responsibility. And instead of saying, well, what about him? What shall he do? When we start to ask the question, Lord, what shall I do? I want to follow you. When we ask what and how, and then I, and then action, our lives will be better as a result.